Okay, before we begin today's podcast, I have to make one thing crystal clear. Yeah? No matter what anyone hears in the next few days... Yeah? I didn't do it. I have an alibi. (laughs) Right? Not one person on this podcast was involved with anything you might be hearing in the next few days. I don't even know what a pillow is. I mean, look, I I conveniently left the country for a, for a very small number of days. That's true, you were out of the country. I was, yeah, I, 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 there was a room full of people who can attest I was in another country. I didn't do nothing. God, I wish I'd thought of that. God damn. Not that I need to think of anything, because I didn't do anything. Look, if you can convince a group of people that they were in a room with you in another country, that's a pretty good alibi. Exactly. I have never been to Balmoral Castle in my life. That I'm offering just as a, a bit of trivia. You know how sometimes <laughs> I like to give trivia on the podcast about me and my life? Yeah. Sure. Just fun fun facts about where you have or have not been. Yeah. Fun fact, you know, I've been to Scotland. I went to a bar that was done up like um, Castle Frankenstein, where you drank shots out of test tubes. Yeah. Right? I've been to that castle. I've been to the bar that is done like Castle Frankenstein. I've never been to Balmoral. I mean, look, I, I don't know why we're all we're all suggesting that we need alibis for, for having been anywhere at any particular time or having not been anywhere. Yeah. I think we all know that the current UK Prime Minister went to a certain castle and then within 24 hours events occurred. Yeah. And I think we should all be looking in that direction and not in us. Yeah, I'd I'd die if I had to speak to her and realise that I'd have to deal with her for the rest, like for the next couple of years. I'd have fucking popped my clogs (laughs) as well. And it probably will only be a couple of years because the way things are going over there, I cannot see Liz sticking it out too long. Oh no, not not at all. I think you're gonna get Boris back. So uh. if 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 folks haven't worked it out, uh you are listening to the um Queen's Dead special <laughs> episode of Podquisition. The episode where we are very respectful and mournful and we're all Observing the officially sanctioned week of of sadness. Yes. Well, I don't want to be arrested. Yeah. I've heard that you can now get arrested for suggesting that King Charles is is not a king that represents us as a people. Well, you see, I I I thought we were gonna delay this week's episode because we'd accidentally in advance decided this episode was gonna be called Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. And then, oh no, that's actually a very inconvenient title to have this week, so we need to we need to we need to cancel yeah. the podcast this week. I'm just glad that there was an explanation for it ultimately. Because like the whole we're not doing it out of, you know, respect for the queen. Like there was a little something to that of like, hey, we don't want to have, you know, this big, you know, showy thing going on at the same time as this major national period of mourning is going on. It's not a good look. We won't do it live. We'll just distribute it, you know. But then come to find out, oh no, they're just not doing it live in the UK. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, there was a Nintendo Direct like an hour before we record the podcast this week, and they just didn't air it on any of the UK 
uh, social media channels. They didn't air it on the Nintendo UK, YouTube, or Twitch, but they did air it in all the other countries. Yeah. Because they forgot how the internet works. Like, they didn't geolock it or anything. They just were like, we ask that you be, re- if you're in the UK, we ask you be respectful and wait until we upload it later. Don't watch it. Don't watch it live. I get it from that perspective. <laughs> They're not so stupid as to, like, not realize that we can all look at this regardless. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just appearances. Like most of the performative mourning that's going yeah. on in this jack fuck country right now. I am so fucking sick of this. Right, I'm just gonna, right, just offer yeah. this right now. <laughs> Fucker. Right? I'm sorry if that's not respectful enough. No, I, I, I fully support this. I've got some fun queen facts that I might pepper through the uh, podcast this week just to remind people of why this national period of mourning is bullshit. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I'm up for that. Fucker. Did you know that Queen Elizabeth had two cousins that she declared legally dead several decades ago? Well, let's be fair. She didn't do it. It was the family. But she basically sat back and, like, the royal family unit. Yeah. She was willing to to maintain the stance that, yes, my two cousins are dead. No, they're not. They were living in a care home because they were disabled. Never got a penny from the royal family. Never got so much as a fucking visit or a birthday or Christmas card. Queen Liz was happy to be like, oh, yeah, my cousins. Yeah, they're dead. Disabled's the same as dead, right? The staff at the hospital attended the funeral. For, for the for the cousin uh, certainly one of them yep but yeah yeah so that's one of them you know the royal family likes to to like hide uh it's i mean yeah i i've got uh, i don't know if anyone knows this question right yeah how many inbred people do you think are in germany and why should we care about like this inbred german <laughs> Fucker, right? Uh, I've seen her face on so many fucking billboards. I tell you where I haven't seen her face. Anywhere doing anything fucking useful. Paddington fucking bear tweeted this week, thank you for everything. (laughs) For what? Hey, Paddington, you're an immigrant... The Queen never did nothing to 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 help help people like you. She don't do nothing for anyone. Never once. Oh, oh, but they 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 bring in so much money with tourism to the royal family. Yeah, when do we fucking see any of it? Yeah. Hey, hey, fun fun fact. Um, she has she has a crown, just a big old fancy hat that has one of the world's biggest diamonds on it that was stolen from a country that that England colonized. Just big, huge colonizer diamond on her head. Her entire outfit, right, is so... It, it's made up of stolen things from, like, yeah. India, from basically all over the world that isn't England. Like, she's a walking British museum. She's covered in so many stolen goods. This country is like a giant thief. Like, that's another important thing to note about Britain, is, like, it's a nation built mostly on theft. Yeah. Just like mine. Yeah. Yeah. Same same deal. But the thing that I find kind of fascinating about all of this is sort of the the cultural response of a society that has I mean, you could probably count in the dozens the number of people who would have any memory whatsoever of a time where Elizabeth II wasn't on the throne. Well, yeah, I mean, she's been queen as long as I've been alive, and I'm ancient. Well, like, it's, I, I think part of, like, the people who do have that, that, that 
feel like they have that emotional connection is because of that. That like she's some sort of thing of stability that has been a part of life. But like someone pointed out, and I think this is really like a really astute observation. It's basically just like the world's biggest parasocial relationship. Mm. Oh, certainly. It's feeling like you know a person who you've never met and who has no fucking clue you exist because you've projected so much stuff onto her. The thing is, at least with a lot of like online parasocial relationships, right? That the the person sort of being um, idealized, right? Yeah. Is producing some form of interactive content. Yeah. There are people, right? There are relatives who I only fucking talk to once a year. Very much like the Queen doing her fucking speech, right? We we all know an old person who we only talk to at Christmas, right? Uh, but that's a dialogue. Why are we worried about... She was 96, Right? She's one elderly woman in a year where we are going to see so many elderly women because they can't afford to pay their fucking energy bills when winter comes round. This country happily, happily lets scores of old people die. That's even before this current so-called cost of living crisis. We are not going to get a week of mourning for every other 96-year-old who dies during the cost of living crisis this winter. Oh, most of them will be lucky to get to 96. We were letting old people die in the winter when I was a kid. We used to hear about this. That was before profiteering energy companies raised their prices to allegedly cover costs, even while they're boasting billions of record profits it is it's a slaughter is what it is it's a mass murder that the tories and the energy companies have undertaken in this country and yet we're supposed to believe we're supposed to cry over the most privileged wealthy and useless of of the old people who died this year and she wasn't murdered like the amount of old people that are going to die this year will be but this conversation that we are having now is as a result of her having died right the i guess the point that i'm making is you saying she did it for attention (laughs) well she probably needed it but no when you have a paradigm that has existed for so long that nobody has any memory whatsoever of what life was without it, and it's suddenly gone. It gets people questioning what's next and the value of the thing that was there in a way that wasn't happening before. And so, you know, we're seeing it with the the Scottish referendum uh, coming up to uh, for independence again. Um, and th- I, I think that... There's a lot of good that could ultimately come out of this kind of assessment post-death of the Queen. So I'm actually pretty positive on it. I think the Queen dying was a very good thing. I'm going to say it. (laughs) I mean, all I'm going to say is the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is apparently disrespectful. So when that game comes out next year, you're going to be like, oh, oh, that's not respectful. The Queen died only six months ago. How dare you release Tears of the Kingdom? The amount of things that were cancelled or postponed to show respect, like the Premier League fucking postponing itself, right? I mean, look, that I understand, because did you see the clips going around of uh, the football crowds chanting, Lizzie's in a box, in a box, <laughs> Lizzie's in a box. It's just a fact. That's just a fact. I mean, the, 
the thing is, right? It, this was I saw this pointed out on Twitter, right? We've seen so many things that have been postponed because of this death, up to and including people's surgery appointments with the NHS, like yeah. doctor medical appointments for people that have nothing to fucking do with her have been postponed. All sorts of like leisure activities and entertainment activities have been postponed. So yeah. many things that just like are good and beneficial for the general public have been postponed, but I don't see like capitalism being postponed. Like people are still having to pay their rent. Yeah. Right. The strikes are on hold, but the causes for the strike are not on hold. Like, the only people who have been put out, to sh who are expected to show respect by diminishing their lives, are regular people. None of the fucking elitists, who are the only people who fucking knew her anyway. So this is Podquisition, it's a video game podcast. She was 96. I'm just saying, she was 96 and everyone's acting like she died too soon. I do want to transition into a video game from here because weird, weird coincidence. I have a video game to talk about this week that is about old people who are dying. But like an actual like good, interesting video game. I'm, I'm going to talk about Wayward Strand, which is a little indie game. Ooh, it's about time the Strand genre that Kojima invented had a new game. I know, we're finally getting another Strand game. Thank fuck. This one is a very different genre of game, but still within the Strand genre, obviously. Oh, thank... good, good. Wayward Strand is a beautiful looking game that is set on a floating... Like, it, it looks like a cross between a cruise ship and a blimp that is some kind of uh, retirement home slash hospital for the elderly. Um, it's a little ambiguous as to when it is set, but it seems like it's set in a an alternative modern day. Most of, of world history is the same. It's just set on a floating ship hospital. And you play as this little kid who has been dragged along by your mum, who works there as a nurse, to help out and keep these uh, the old people here Keep them company because the nurses are busy with some kind of imminent thing that is happening. Something is happening in a few days that has the nurses all incredibly busy and they don't have time to do face-to-face -face time with the residents and your mum has dragged you along to go spend time keeping people company there. It is a really interesting little game. So once once each day in game day starts, um, there is a real there is a clock that is going and it doesn't pause and it's up to you how you spend your day who you go speak to who you interact with how long you spend conversing with them people will be going about doing their own things and you might miss something happening because you prioritized a different person there is no way to keep on top of everything that's happening and you just go around having conversations with people about their lives and Unraveling little narrative threads and following things that you learn from one person might lead you to talk to someone else about something else and slowly learn about the people living on this ship. Now, there's a few things I really like about this game. I really like the way the characters are written. They've written a very believable child and some very believable old people. They have done a very good job of recreating the awkward tension that comes when there is such a big age gap between people. And they have found a really interesting way of making silence 
and just sitting and not walking away the second that you have nothing left imminently to say, being an important aspect of conversations. Because I know, at least for myself, when I started playing this, I did the thing that I think the game probably expects of you, which is exhaust all the dialogue options with a character and then go and find someone else to talk to. But if you just stop and sit in a patient's room and just sort of sit there for a bit and don't rush away the first second you get, they'll start opening up unprompted. And there's no guarantee that will happen. Sometimes you'll sit around and nothing will happen. Mm. But sometimes you'll sit... And they'll start talking and open up about something. They'll, they'll open something new in ways that, like, reward patience in a way that, like, I don't think I see many games that have these kind of dialogue options really focus on. The other thing I really like is that there is a really good variety of different kinds of characters who have very different kinds of needs about what they're looking for and what it will take to make a connection with them. Two really good, obvious examples of this is there is a character who you very early on learn is in a lot of pain and is a few weeks away from death. And she is very, very, like, snippy and angry and, like, just not in a good mood. And it's very understandable why she is the way she is. And the way you approach her might be very different from, say, there is a woman in a different room a couple of floors up who is completely non-verbal, that the game very early on makes clear just because she does not speak doesn't mean that she doesn't value interaction, and she really likes it when people come and have conversations with her. Even if she doesn't talk back, it's still important to make sure that she's getting time socialising and to make that effort. And like those are two very, very different kinds of interactions to navigate. The game is not perfect, and like my biggest problem with it, and it's a thing you can work around, but it's a thing I really want to warn anyone who's going to check this game out, the game is split into days, and they're not super lengthy, maybe an hour, an hour and like 20 minutes, but as best I can tell, there is no autosave during that time. Sometimes you'll make notes in your little journal and an image, uh, a pencil scribbling will appear in the bottom right corner of the screen. My brain had assumed that was an autosave, because... Pencil scribbling in a corner of screen to me means, ah, game is autosaving. And if you quit before you've finished another complete day, you just go back to the start of that day. Like, it is such a take-your-time kind of game that you cannot button mash and rush through and get back to where you were at without doing it in real time again. And it's not like the game has crashed. I'd like It's just a thing that I would say, know about this and commit to chunks of time where you can play it for an hour to an hour and a half and not stop. But, like, that is my biggest complaint about it. But it's really interesting, and, like, the voice acting in it is really nice. I don't think I've seen a video game have as good of a variety of authentic voices for old people that don't sound like here's a 20-something doing, doing a forced voice. It's really engaging and it's really sweet. Just don't quit midway through a day because you're going to lose all your progress. Yeah, it's a really sweet little game so far. I've, I've not... We recorded Pogquisition earlier this week, so I haven't had time to finish playing it, but I've really, really appreciated what I've seen so far. Awesome. Fun. Yeah. Another strand-type game. 
yep, yep, I can't wait until my my little girl protagonist has to put on a backpack with like eight boxes stacked on it and do the not falling over minigame. Nice. What about you both? Have either of you played anything this week? Yes. What have you played, Conrad? All right, so I, real quick, I went back to my time at Sandrock. Yeah? I had mentioned previously that the load times were onerous, to say the least. Hmm. And uh, they have since, I think, implemented the planned update that was intended to address that, and I think they're still working on optimization. I installed that update, and I ran it, and... It might have been faster, but it still felt like a two-minute introductory load, mm. which is rough. And then I moved it to my SSD, mm. and it is very fast. So there is something going on there, um, and I don't know if it's specific to me. Uh, some Someone else that I had been, uh, Gumba Master, I, yeah. they're playing it also, and... Uh, they had commented on a vast improvement with the update, but they were running on an SSD, which is what prompted me to try. And yeah, so I think they still have a road to go on it, but it feels playable now to me. <laughs> I, Hooray! Yeah, so that's good. And I, I've sort of been fiddling around just very, very limited amounts of that. The other thing I, I have spent a limited amount of time getting back to is Fall Guys. Uh, I played that last night on the stream. Mm. And I think I'd said previously that there's a whole bunch of shit in there that I don't know its purpose or how it works or anything anymore. Like, they've added so much. Um, I got my first bit of premium currency <laughs> from yeah. playing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that felt oily. It is a free-to-play game now. It, it it truly fully is. That you paid money for. That I paid money for, and I got a bunch of, you know, free cosmetics in integrating my existing account, which actually was seamless. Yeah. I don't know at what point I had uh, connected my PlayStation account to my Epic one, but um, I ran it for the first time on, on Epic, and it just was there. Uh, so that's fine. There's some neat games that I hadn't experienced before. Uh, they've combined the rolling pillar type thing with the uh, disappearing ice blocks. Yes. And that, so that's, or the hexagon, hexagon blocks. So that's kind of interesting. There's a an objective track. Like they've got like a story thing going on with some satellite that needs repaired and I don't even know how you access that shit. Like, it, there's just so much crap in here now. And also, of course, I come in... The last time I came in, I think they were doing some cross-promotion with fucking Ninja, of all people. I come in now, and they're doing some Ass Creed shit. Ugh. Oh, man. So I'm constantly exposed to content everybody's using this goddamn jump off of a uh, what, what do they call it the the eagles dive or whatever the bullshit oh yeah yeah the the jump and leap thing yeah that's that's the victory emote now everybody's fucking using that and so i'm constantly playing this game and being reminded of how much of this industry is built upon abuse so all in all fall guys is a great experience today to return to the games are fine. The gameplay, it still has an active community. I think uh, getting the crossplay fully functional helped with that. But yeah, it's tarnished. It makes me sad. 
but it's fun to play. Yeah, there's 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 no getting around the fact that it is now a slightly different thing. Yep. Yep. That? Steph, what about you? Me? You? Just quickly, I'll, I'll move on to the main thing I've been playing, but just quickly I want to point out that I played... I played it months ago when it first came out, but played it a bit just to remind myself how fucking shit it was. Uh, Ashigaru The Last Shogun uh, by everyone's favourite cowardly little worm, Gilson B. Pontus, uh, who today tried and failed yet again to uh, abuse the copyright takedown system and remove my video about him, which I'm genuinely surprised. I'm genuinely shocked that he tried it again. I shouldn't be, but I could not believe it when I woke up this morning and saw a notice from YouTube that they'd taken the video down. Um, And then, of course, a lot of my day was... Uh, issuing legal threats until it got back up. I mean, you really shouldn't be surprised. The man is nothing but consistent. Well, yeah. Like, he releases the same game every year. Of course he's going to attempt the same fraud every year. Yeah, it's another shit Gilson game. I've actually, um, fuck your strand games, mate. Fuck, fuck strand games. I've invented a genre. It's called the Gilson-like. Um, it's a term I've coined for Gilson's games because they are largely the same. Uh, you spawn, you run across a barren map, you die in one hit to something. All of his games are like this, except... The quality such as it is varies between game. It doesn't, like, consistently get better or even worse. Some years his annual game is better. Some years it's worse. And it goes up and down. They're always bad. But some years there's no dodge button. And some years there is. This one doesn't have a dodge. You run... You button mash to try and hit them. You do scratch damage to the enemies, and then they kill you in one hit. It's not designed to be won. Um, but anyway, uh, he tried again. Copyright strike bullshit. YouTube originally sided with him, which is what they did last year, saying, well, I don't think you provided compelling evidence that suggests that... It was like, it's unclear whether or not this takedown is valid, so we're just going to side with him. <laughs> So I then did what I did last year, which was submit a second counterclaim, a counter-counter-counterclaim, and issued a very serious legal threat, which I am fully prepared. I've got a lawyer and everything. I am fully prepared to um, fight it if it goes that far. And after taking several hours before siding with Gilson, it then took them several minutes to side with me. (laughs) I think a lot of it is keywords. Just make it very clear that you have a lawyer, you will pursue this legally, and give them a deadline. That's another thing. That's what seems to seal the deal. I have told them in the past, and I told them today, uh, you have until the end of the day. Yeah. And, And I get to dictate that. You have until the end of the day, or I will tell my lawyer to pursue this. And then within minutes, it was back. So anyway... From that piece of shit, let's talk about something good. Yeah? What's good? I played the beta of it a few weeks ago when we spoke about it. Having now put a lot of time into the final product, I fucking love Steel Rising. I was a little unsure from the beta, but playing it, getting to grips, sort of 
just getting a, an idea for how the game flows and, and feels. Because even though it's a Souls-like, the, the dodging felt really off to me. But now that I've just sort of accounted for how wide enemies swing and how they track, like, this is a really good Souls-like. And the fact it's made by spiders, uh, the studio, not the arachnids. We don't know there aren't Spiders the Animal working at Spiders the Game Developer. We don't know. Spiders may employ spiders. Uh, but for the purposes of the discussion, we are talking about the studio, uh, which has been famous for all sorts of janky products like Mars Warlogs. I do believe they did Technomancer. These games that are, like, ambitious and have something to them, but are largely shit. Some of them are... Like, like I'm always frustrated by spiders because... They do have lots of cool ideas, and their games, if their games were just better, they'd be brilliant. But usually, like Technomancer, like, I put a lot of time into it, but it was a, a sub-mediocre game. It was not good. So with Spiders, I'm always excited to check out the games, even knowing they're probably going to be disappointing. Mm. Steel Rising had my attention because, as I said before, it's, like, set around the time of the French Revolution, but it's got robots. It's like, what if revolution but robots? And the main character is this robot woman with, like, a powdered wig, and that's fucking awesome. And it is it is janky. It's especially got an issue with stuttering. Like, extreme amounts. Like, long freezes to the point where you think it's crashed and then it'll move for a little bit and then uh, freeze again. Over the, the hours I've had with it, it's not it's not come up to the point where it is frequent, but it's come up to the point where it's notable, and it can really ruin the thing. It usually self-writes, but for a while, especially if you transition to a new area in the game, it can be fucking unbearable. But the game itself is really fucking good. The animations are really cool. The combat is actually like really fast and fluid. And once you get that hang of when and how to dodge, like ducking out of combat and ducking right back in with a really fluid attack is like fucking cool. The Souls like setup is is straightforward. It's your usual thing of, you know, if you die, you leave a thing. It, when you use a checkpoint and heal, like all the enemies respawn. The maps aren't quite as intricate as as a lot of Souls likes, but it's got some, you know, shortcuts and, and things that you can unlock as you go through it. It's it's nice enough. It's got a really cool variety of weapons that are certainly on theme with this. I hesitate to say steampunk. It's it's of that genre, but it's like baroque more than what we normally see as as like this sort of pre-Victorian look. Uh, it's very much got that sort of 18th century um, Parisian feel to it. Like, the robots are, are engraved and made of marble and things like that. Uh, so that's really cool. The weapons are really neat. Things like there's a giant clock, like, like a pocket watch, but it's giant and you use it like a hammer and a shield. That's neat. Um, you can get some really broken builds. I went with the alchemist character class this time around uh, for the, the the finished game, and that's like a lot of elemental damage. Early in the game, you find a rifle that shoots ice bullets, and up to and including big 
main bosses, you can fill them full of ice bullets and freeze them and then just wail on them until you like pass a damage threshold and they fall over, taking a big chunk of health. And it's broken as hell. Like, it is so busted uh, for most of the game. I'm actually just at a point where I found a boss that is immune to all elemental damage, and as someone who built their character entirely around elemental damage, I'm fucked. But uh, I will get through it. It means I've just got to actually play with a bit of skill now. But I've got enough of a handle on the dodging and, and timing that I know I can get through it. It's going to take some fucking attempt. You can equip two weapons at once. So I've got this ice rifle and then I've got what I can only describe as tonfa shotguns that shoot fire. And the fire is as well is just like all the elemental damage is fucking powerful, which I like because you get a lot of games where like interesting status attacks are always useless beyond a certain point of the game. They, they often feel like they are a flavor rather than actually having an impact the way that that yes. element should do. And you get that a lot with, with the Souls games. You know, it's a real struggle to activate an elemental effect. And when it does, you'll often be disappointed. Unless it's bleed damage in Elden Ring, because that's fucking wild. But in this, it's like, like I've run up against a boss that by design is supposed to be like, like very resistant to elemental damage. And I get that, and that's cool. But the bosses I fought before that, not just mini bosses, like huge main bosses that are the size of a house, like you can freeze them or set them on fire and the damage and effect will not be insignificant. And I really like that. And I kind of, I'm sure some people will have an issue with just how busted you can build a character, but I'm fucking loving it. That rifle is just the range on it. And the fact that with a lot of enemies, especially if you like, like put a lot of points into your uh, alchemy stat, like two or three shots and they're frozen. And then I shoot them with a flame ball from my uh, shotgun tonfa, which will then set the shotgun tonfas on fire. So I can just like wail on them while they're frozen and set them on fire while they're frozen and then just freeze them again while they're on fire. Uh, I haven't even fucked around with the electric damage yet. I'm sure that's a laugh. So yeah, like, and, and that's just the build I've had. There's like all sorts of weapons, like folding fans that you can dance around enemies with and um, big heavy hammer things. Uh, for a while I was using like a, a ball and chain that I could set on fire. And it's just really cool. It's really cool. It looks really cool. I, uh, I've played like 15 minutes of it because that intro cinematic is very, very long and I have very little patience. Yeah, it's long and boring like most of the cinematics in this game. Mm. That's my big criticism of the game is I went in hoping for it to be like, you know, what if the French Revolution but robots. Mm -hmm. And then like in the early stages of the game, there's some hints that it might delve into what I wanted it to. You find this field and it is full of dead soldiers that were basically replaced by automatic soldiers, by like automatons. So, you know, they had no need for these soldiers, so they just slaughtered them. Especially because a lot of the enemies you fight are repurposed weaponized versions of what were functionary robots mm -hmm. that were like you know automated work or entertainment 
Right. Well, like Dr. Wiley did. Yeah, exactly. I was hoping there'd be a lot of talk about that, of automation and how that might have affected the working class during a revolutionary period Mm -hmm. and how, you know, what might have happened if the revolutionaries were put down by like uh, some like clockwork army. Instead, it focuses on weird mystical bullshit. Oh. And you don't really get to see much in the way, like Robespierre's been mentioned, but it mostly focuses on like, like you work for the queen, you're working for Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. And the people I've like all the NPCs I've encountered so far are like like clergy and nobility, and I was really hoping you'd end up as like some sort of revolutionary robot. And it's like I'm not, yeah, I've not finished the game. It might get interesting, but right now it's like she's finding like people's keepsakes on the floor, which lets her see into the past. And then what what you see is just like this this sorcerer fucking like knocking out political enemies and putting them in big robots like Doctor Eggman. I am disappointed by that. I I don't see the point for all the weird like mystical shit like magic and shit yeah and you know not to be like you know in favor of politics for politics sake in video games but when you have such a fertile historical period and such interesting concepts to introduce to that Mm -hmm. to not kind of explore it a little bit feels like a huge missed opportunity yeah absolutely like the 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 worlds they've set up is the potential is off the charts i am so inspired by the world that it's a real shame that i'm so uninspired by what they actually do with it you know it's it's one of those games where like my brain just isn't absorbing the information because it just doesn't give a fuck it doesn't give a fuck about any of these human characters it doesn't give a fuck about like the invented political intrigue that is happening far apart from the actual interesting historical politics it's just a bunch of privileged wankers fighting amongst themselves and i'm like but the game doesn't make a point of that some of the optional dialogue sort of brings up things like how like black citizens and freed former slaves and that are uh, treated but it's all just aside it's all just stuff that's happening off to the side and never really brought up um as part of the plot and has nothing to do with the with the robots or anything, even though, again, like at a time where there's like people arguing for the abolition of slavery um, alongside sort of this rise of, of 18th century clockwork automation. There's just so it's so fertile for for exploration. And the game instead focuses on, oh, I've picked up a pocket watch and can see the past. I'm like, what? What? It's a game about robots wearing powdered wigs. That's amazing enough on its own. I think that's one of the main problems is like the core concept is already so fantastical that to ignore it and focus on other fantastical shit is such a waste. It's such a waste. Fortunately, that that's not enough to stop me from loving the game itself, like the gameplay. I'm really enjoying it. I love the weapons. I uh, am really enjoying the build I've made. I'm excited by the prospect of other builds. If there's a, I don't know if there's a respec option, but I definitely like to tinker around with some of the other weapons and stuff. Yeah, it's it's great. I love the enemy designs. I haven't seen the guillotine, and I'm at the point where I might have. I'm worrying I'd miss saw something. 
in the trailer. Um, but they're still cool stuff. Like, there are robots that were used for entertainment. Like, they were musicians, and they've been repurposed for war. So you just get these fucking little... These robots with trumpets just parping away as they march down the street, and then they blow like big ice clouds out their trumpets at you or like these robot violinists uh one of the bosses has uh an eggman i think a cardinal inside it and it's like got a big bible on a chain that it's just swinging at you while like some robotic voice is constantly like chanting hymns really like visually um inventive uh is the game I wish it wasn't called Steel Rising. It's such a generic name. Yep. I forget who said it on Twitter, but someone said, like, Bastille is right there. Yeah. What a missed opportunity. I wish the story wasn't shit and boring. And the game is glitchy. A weird thing it's got is, like, dialogue constant, like, voiced dialogue constantly disappears. Some sentences just aren't voiced in the middle of voiced dialogue, and I, I don't know why. But that's just something you... It's the kind of weird bug you expect from spiders. <laughs> not arachnids, not that kind of bug. Uh, oh, God. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really into this. I have really just loved playing it. I've fought past the bugs, got used to the way the game... It's, it's a different kind of combat flow. And it's definitely not methodical. Um, it is, if you... On the scale of Dark Souls to Bloodborne, it's very much further along the Bloodborne end. Yeah, I I, I fucking love it. I love it. And I love how like she, uh, the the main character Aegis like uh, he just twists her arm round in like an in, impossible like like for a, a human position to squirt oil into her back to heal. That's cool. I've also gotten used to the stamina system. I complained playing the beta that like stamina drains way too quick, but I do get it now, um, now that I've nailed the timing, because once it runs out, effectively, that stamina meter is double what it looks like, because once it drains, you can then hit triangle to apply coolant to yourself, and the stamina will drain, once it's fully drained, the bar will turn white and drain again. And if you press triangle in time, anything that's white will turn green and it will be your stamina again. So if you time it so you hit triangle the moment your stamina drains, you get another stamina bar. And the trade-off is the more you do that, the more freeze damage you accumulate. And then when the the freeze damage meter fills up you become you just get covered in ice and have to break out of it so there is a nice trade-off and it's actually a really it's a cute little system i do i've kind of come to enjoy it and yeah that steel rising it's just really fucking good and, and easily the best spiders game i've ever played um certainly the most polished which should tell you something about how janky their games usually are yeah. yeah, so I'd love to hear about more games, please. Other things I've played this week. So I've been messing around with some gaming hardware. I've been having a play with the Ein Odin Pro, which is one of those little emulatory handhelds. Yeah, I backed that. I backed that on Indiegogo. Yeah. And had it sent to Conrad's. Yes. Uh, because yep. I moved country and Indiegogo won't change country for shipping. And waited patiently for months 
And then we found out that it had just been sitting in the post office mm-hmm. right by Conrad's yeah. for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only received it because I had another package sent to me. <laughs> And they recognized the name as matching the P.O. box address. Somehow nice. it went to the post office and not me mm. in the first place. And no one noticed that the address was wrong and didn't try to forward it on. It's remarkable. Amazing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting to have that shipped to me so yeah. I can use it. <laughs> thing, a thing I backed over a year ago. So, I have one. I've been playing around with it a little bit. So, for anyone who doesn't know, this is... A handheld that is about the size and and weight of the Switch. It feels like a Switch Lite, but with um slightly more moulded grips on the back. In terms of, like, form factor, screen size is roughly comparable, weight's roughly comparable. But it is an Android-based device that you can install Windows on. There is a Windows build that people have made for it that you can have dual boot set up so that you can... I think it's power button to go into Android or power button and plus on volume to go into Windows. And I've mainly been playing around with the Android side of it, and I'll talk about why in a minute. But if you just want something that is like in a cheaper price point than the Steam Deck, but can emulate almost as many systems almost as well, this is a really nice device. It definitely fits a specific niche of about the price of a Switch about the form factor of a Switch, sure, you're not going to be emulating, like, PS3 games on this like you can with the Steam Deck. You're not going to be emulating, at least right now, um, you're not going to be emulating Switch games at full speed. Like, I messed around a little bit, and about the best you can get Switch games running on it is about 70% of full speed, which is, like, getting pretty close, but not quite there. But if we're talking, like, anything up to GameCube, Wii... 3DS, anything up to those, run really well on this. I have been having a lot of luck with, like, upscaling, say, 3DS games. I was playing some um, Majora's Mask 3DS. You can play that at, like, full 1080p, running at full speed. GameCube and Wii games you can put up at, like, two or three times native resolution and get them running at full speed, um, looking really nice. It is just a nice Android emulation handheld with a really good screen, good form factor. The one I have is made out of, like, see-through purple plastic. I miss when see-through plastic was a thing people did. I like that I can look inside and see computer chips. So's mine! (laughs) Oh, is it? I haven't haven't taken it out of the box to check. (laughs) I can't wait to see it. I can see computer chips in there. They they put computer bits in it. I want to see computer (laughs) chips. So, yeah, it's a little more set up than, like, it doesn't come pre-installed with all the emulators and things. I found a good guide that's, like, download these emulators, put them on these settings, done, and it, like, it wasn't a hassle to do, but it's not, like, some of them, like, uh, that will ship with all of the emulators already there, already ready to go, but, like, the performance is really nice. The one I have came with, uh, essentially a Switch dock, and it works really well, you just pop it in the dock, it's on the screen, it upscales these games to a nice enough degree that they look good on TV. I want to talk about the dual booting into Windows thing, because here is a fun, fun little fact. There are there are two camps right now when you receive your Odin as to whether or not you will have a good, good experience or not uh, dual booting into Windows. Because 
there was an initial batch of these made that had one type of screen in them. And the people who made the Windows ports that you could dual boot into Windows made Windows drivers for the screen that was in the ones that initially shipped. And then they started shipping some with a different kind of screen. And it, from what I can tell, there's no discernible difference other than Windows doesn't recognize the touchscreen on the new model of screen. And the people who are making the, 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 the port of Windows that you can dual boot don't currently have one with the new screen with which to make Windows drivers for the new screen. So I haven't really messed around with it. I think right now to get Windows uh, to to do Windows setup, I'm just going to have to plug in a USB mouse and do the setup and see if I can map like the right analog stick to being a virtual mouse or something. Because I'm intrigued. Like I want to see how this thing runs Windows games mainly because I want to be able to play stuff that I can't play on Steam Deck because it either has anti-cheat that doesn't work with Linux or that is on storefronts that aren't the Steam storefront, they're a bit awkward. Uh, because like from, from what I've seen online, Windows game performance is good, and it would be really nice for this thing to be able to run Windows games. But right now, I can't just touchscreen use Windows the way that I would want to, to make this worth dual booting. And I'm hoping that Windows drivers for the other screen are sorted out soon, because that is half of what I am excited to do with this device, that I just got the kind of screen it doesn't that it doesn't currently work with. As an Android emulation machine, I'm having a really good time with it, but I feel like I have to like hold back half of my opinions on this device until I can mess around with it properly in Windows. So bear that in mind. <laughs> but it's just an emulation machine. It's really nice. Form factor versus power and performance must be fucking nice. It's beautiful. Must be fucking nice. It is fucking nice. It's fucking nice being able to play 1080p 3DS games on a know. nice little fake switch I with, with purple know. plastic. I can see the computer chips inside. Uh, remind me again. Does it have? Does it have HDMI out? It's got mini HDMI out, or it's got USB C to HDMI. So okay, I've I've got a little dock with mine that I could just pop it in the dock, but also you could just plug a micro HDMI cable in the top yeah. and output it that way. I've got a couple of the emulation devices, but um, the one I had that could do that got um, busted, I think. So I've been looking to get another one that does HDMI out. This I think is a good one for HDMI out in that like it it can upscale everything as i said up to like gamecube wii and 3ds it can upscale it to yeah. enough of a degree that it looks good on a tv still lovely which is nice so yeah yeah the the inoden pro is good i really want the i really want drivers to get sorted out so i can play around with windows a bit more yeah Either of you played anything else this week? Uh, I played something the semi-related. You're talking about the cool, translucent plastic technology. Um, back in April, I talked about a game called uh, Roombu First Blood. Oh, yes, I remember this. Right? It turns out that the developer, Samurai Punk, had been working on a expanded version of this game which came out earlier this month it's called justice sucks tactical vacuum action ah. and i have only had time to get through the tutorial uh or at least the first major tutorial um and the first real stage there's apparently further tutorial i'm about to experience and shit just got 
wacky. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they It feels more refined. It feels like there are more options even at this early stage. And I already know that additional stuff's going to unlock because now one of the mechanics is you use the blood that you consume from the deaths of your enemies to power special abilities. That's super fun. There's a larger story at play about fighting back against the corporation that kidnapped your family and transported you into the TV dimension. Neat. You meet up with a sexy anthropomorphized Roomba. <laughs> and I, uh huh. Like I don't know how much harder I need to sell this. It is no, no, yeah. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It it plays pretty well. Um, it's got some cool stealth based gameplay. Um, a lot of options for ways that your traps can interact with each other, and it's set in that time when you had those translucent bits of technology. The, the villainous CEO uses what uh, appears to be a computer styled in the design of an iMac. It's pretty good. It's colorful, it's funny, it's weird. Uh, I will be playing more. I will probably have more to say next week. But uh, so far, I'm I'm well pleased that Samurai Punk decided to pursue this further. Uh, and the direction it's going in is definitely interesting. Yeah. Mm. Steph, you played anything else this week? Yeah, probably. I've tried to play some Splatoon 3. Yeah. Which, considering Virgin this week added another two weeks waiting time to my having internet mm -hmm. set up in this fucking house, has been difficult. I had a couple of rounds while I was um, at fees the other day. It's Splatoon. Yeah. From what I've played, I'll have to have a crack at the single player while I'm not at phase. I mean, I tried to run it using a hotspot, the multiplayer, and it actually did work all right, but then sort of disconnected right at the end. So probably not worth pursuing. But yeah, it's cool. It's, it's more of the same from the looks of it. I ain't got much of a problem with that. That's fine. So not a lot to say there, so I will also um, move on to um, The Last of Us Part 2. Having played through The Last of Us yet again via Part 1, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to play that unassuming, um, rather throwaway um, bit of meaningless yeah. fun, uh, The Last of Us Part 2, uh, which is still just a really fun zombie game. Okay. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. No, it's a laugh. I thought it was a real, real neat game. It's a real giggle. I think that's what I <laughs> like most about it. Like, you can craft exploding arrows to shoot at the zombies and people and dogs, and they blow up, and you, you get them blowed up real good. And you can put little mines on the ground and throw a bottle near the mine to attract them over so they blow up. Sometimes sometimes you're in the mood for a miserable time, and it's a very well-made miserable time, that game. <laughs> miserable? What are you talking about? This game's a fucking riot. Oh, sorry, riot. it's very good. Fun, fun lovely delight. This game is a laugh riot the amount of ways in which you can stab and shoot and maim people you can blow up their legs and they'll crawl towards you screaming it's hilarious but then when i killed one of them the other enemy said jorge no <laughs> he had a name and now the game is sad <laughs> 
He had a name, and now the game is sad. Uh, the Last of Us Part Two is genuinely a fascinating game. Even though I'm somewhat sarcastic when I say it's a fun zombie game, I also kind of mean it. Because the gameplay, no matter how bleak the, the game's uh, story and tone and world is, it's sort of undermined by the fact that I do have a laugh playing it. Because as much as it's trying to make me feel bad for killing people, they made it really satisfying to kill people. Yeah, they gurgle more than other enemies in different games to try and make you feel upset, but this is also a game that lets you craft exploding arrows or mines and then lure people lay into it by throwing bottles around. And even though the stealth can be a bit tense at times, like you sort of feel awesome stalking your enemies like with that sort of predatory stealth, like, like you're Batman in the Arkham games. It's interesting because, yes, it, it, there is something about the gameplay design that is excellent at demonstrating how you have tremendous power and yet you feel like you could constantly be under threat. It's it's a simulation of what it's like to be a right winger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you have a tremendous amount of power, but you feel uh, like you're under attack at all times and, and uh, are being oppressed. Um, yes, it's like, I have fun calling it, like, insulting it somewhat by calling it a fun zombie game, but I do... That's what's good about it, and also its biggest undermining factor, is this game wants you to feel guilty and wants you to feel bad. But this is also a game that, that establishes dogs as an annoying in-game enemy. Like, they're fucking annoying. And then, like, after hours of establishing the dogs as the most irritating hindrances in the game, then it wants you to feel bad for one of them because you killed one that earlier had been petted by the other protagonist. So, ah, now, you monster, you killed the dog we made you kill. Uh, it just doesn't work. Like, like it's sort of embarrassing. Just how desperate. I, I feel there's this there's this dirty, dirty, nasty part of me that needs to point out and say the words that we are in 2022, current year. I mean I mean we've all been thinking them. Look, look, there is there is look, you don't have to say the phrase that way. You could just say there is a bit of dissonance of the Ludo narrative variety. There's a sort of gameplay narrative disconnect this podcast is eight years old okay uh, we're old enough to say ludonarrative dissonance we've we've earned that right i mean the thing is is as much as that was thrown around by critics who were stumbling desperately to sound more clever than they were it is still a, a valid term that that has a valid use and this game undoubtedly does fit it and this game does fit it absolutely this is one of the few proper examples of ludonarrative dissonance. Yeah, like, I, I am one of the people that, like, feels a lot more positively about this game than others. I still recognise that, yeah, that term is applicable. Yeah, 
and the thing is, is like I, I genuinely think that some of the ways this game tries to make you feel bad and, and tries to make a point about vengeance and violence is honestly embarrassing. Like, it speaks to the, the narrative immaturity of the game industry where you get, like, certain video game self-styled authors and then other sort of storytellers who get high on the smell of their own farts and think they can handle themes that they're honestly not that well equipped to handle. And the problem with this game is that its biggest attempts, its strongest attempts at making you feel guilty are also like its most exposing in terms of the Naughty Dog really just not having the chops to do what it's doing. It's a game that like frequently fumbles moments that require nuance and doesn't know how to solve them without assuming that the player has a real lack of ability to connect the dots themselves. And the example I always think about that really annoys me in that game, and it's one of the few points that really annoys me in it, is they have a character in that game who is a trans man, and they feel it necessary to, in one random fight in the game, have enemies you're fighting against dead name and misgender him. And, like, it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, you you, you just couldn't conceive of, of a subtle yeah. way to to do that other than, like... It, it, it's lack of subtlety when it's sometimes required. Yeah, and, and this is one of the biggest problems with the game industry overall is when it tries to tackle something darker or, or more socially engaged or, or just when they try and go for something more higher in concept than shooty bang bang. A lot of them are so used to shooty bang bang that they don't have the ability to produce storylines with any nuance. There are excellent writers in the game industry, but a lot of mainstream games just somewhat by necessity, even when there's good writing, by the very nature of the product, which ultimately is a commercial product and has to sell and be appealing mechanically, a lot of games have to undermine themselves. You know, this is a game that says, oh, violence is not always the answer. Violence is a grisly, dark, grim business, but if you pre-order the game, you can carry two guns at once, how about that? Like, it's always going to be undermined by the fact that it's a mainstream game that has to sell itself on how fun the violence is. But ultimately, this game is... It's got pretensions of, of meaning, but undermines that at every turn, um, with massive amounts of hypocrisy, which, again... Might have been good if the game had had the presence of forethought to make the hypocrisy part of the game. Video games have like reached the point of, oh, we could make someone feel bad. But then it doesn't think about why they're feeling bad or, or what the feeling bad means. The feeling bad is the point. And that comes across as embarrassing when you have a game where you kill hundreds of people and then once or twice the game says, feel guilty now, now, and not later, now. This could have been solved if they'd have thought further ahead than that, if they'd have thought about the context as well as the result they wanted. The game could have been about exploring why 
it's suddenly time to feel guilty mm. and discuss the arbitrary nature of that and and the arbitrary nature of of games that do this overall like there's a lot that could have been done but because they jumped the first hurdle and f- felt that was good enough that's why so much of of the game's attempts um uh, at making you feel bad just fall flat yeah, because they gave up after the first hurdle because they thought what they'd done was brilliant, but it's still a really fun zombie game. Ultimately, <laughs> uh, anyone else played anything else before we move over to the news? I played one other thing, uh, a, for a oh, well, a few hours, I guess. That's just because of how long it's taken me to make any progress, and it. it's called Hollow Cure. It is some fan game for some i don't know streamers or video i don't know i have no idea there's all sorts of lore and reference wrapped up in this thing that i have no interest in i i didn't even really pay that close attention to the introductory like cutscene that establishes that i i think fans of these characters are like uh, it's a survivor's game and it's it's actually a pretty good one it's got some cute character designs each of the characters that you choose from, their starting weapon has uh, skills associated with them that are interesting um, and add a lot to the gameplay. It's it's curious that they have to be unlocked with levels in the same way as any other weapon or item you'd pick up to get those skills, but they are not accounted in the same way as weapons and items are in Vampire Survivors, for example. They're just, they don't prevent you from getting other stuff it's a odd approach but the way it handles uh some upgrading is kind of interesting as well Uh, you do get the equivalent of chests from from boss characters that will give you a random item and it may not be one you have but you're not obligated to take anything from any of these boxes either which is nice uh, but you also for upgrading periodically an enemy will drop an anvil and at the anvil, if your weapon is, if your main weapon's at max level, that's how you upgrade it to a more powerful version of itself. And then any fully upgraded weapons can uh, have a high percentage diminishing over levels chance to increase some aspect of its effects. That's cool. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, this isn't that, ver- you know, much of a variety or introduction of anything new but it's a solid little game and then i got my first golden anvil and this allows you to combine the effects of two and two weapons into a new weapon and now i'm very curious about the rest of this game it's a free thing that you can get on itch.io it's pretty fun it looks good it plays well it's worth checking out if you're looking for another survivors game to play while you wait for the september 15th update um which will already be out as of the time uh you're listening to this so cool but uh yeah hollow cures worth checking out if you want another one of these that's a little bit different nice yeah uh steph you got any last ones to do uh just a quick one. <gasps> Is it time? Yes. <gasps> it's time once again for a little trip. A little mosey on down to Stephanie's Wee Wee Corner. Oh, the frog's back. 
I got the wooden frog. Oh, oh I love my wooden frog. Um, yes, a quick trip to Stephanie's Wee Wee Corner. I didn't actually get around to playing any new ones this week, but there was a couple I played last week, but because I had to shoot off early, I didn't get around to them. So this week I will give you one offering, and it's a game I think I've played about as much of last week as I did when I first played it, like, back when it was new. It's called Let's Tap, and I didn't play it for very long. <laughs> Let's Tap. It was done by, um, oh, I want to say Yuji Naka, um... I know it was someone involved with Dreamcast stuff, and that was, like, one of its selling points. It, it was Yujinaka, yeah. Yujinaka, okay, yeah. Um, so that gave it a bit of clout. And it's a game that was fairly early, I want to say, in the Wii's life. Um, and one of these games that really tried to take the idea of the Wii and do something new with it. At least in terms of handling the controls even though the gameplay itself was not that um complex uh, i've just had a look it was about a year into the wii's life about a year okay um so yeah and it was really trying it was trying to make a game that really was a a wii game a game that really wouldn't work anywhere else and i do like like the mechanics of the interactivity are interesting they just don't work yes so the idea is the game's played entirely by tapping, and what you do is you get the Wii remote and you put it on a box. The limited edition comes with a box. <laughs> it's just a it's just like a big cardboard box that the Wii case sits in. I never knew that. <laughs> There's nothing special about the box. It's just like a slipcase style box. It actually comes with three, because you've got the slipcase that goes over it, then a box, then in the box is a box. Um, but you could really put it on literally any box. So you get the Wii remote, you, f you place it on the box, and then you tap the box, and that's the point of it. And there's a couple of games. There's like a rhythm game and a running game uh, and some others. I only played the rhythm and the running, which I think I did when it came out like ten over ten years ago, and then I put it away because it's fucking irritating. I should be able to very quickly tell you how little content there is in here because there are five modes, one of which is just a visualizer. Yes, uh, yeah, there are only four <laughs> real gameplay modes, but the idea is, is you tap with varying strength to get different reactions. And I'm sure you can tell how that went wrong, especially at the time where, like, this was still fairly, like, rudimentary in the gaming space. Motion tech. So the idea is you tap lightly, medium, and strong. And, and it, it just doesn't work. Because, A, the Wii Remote itself and the method of putting on a box is not accurate to begin with in terms of judging strength. And secondly, human judgment is a factor. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I know, like, like, the difference between me tapping hard and strong? I can do that from, a, like, an extreme angle. I can tell that this is different from this. I can tell those are different. But when you're, like, tapping really fast on a box to run, but not too fast or you'll fall over, and then tapping hard to jump, Doing it at that at the speed you've got to do that, like it just doesn't work. The amount of times you will jump by accident because you hit a bit too hard, or not jump because you didn't hit hard enough. Look, 
As someone who speedruns Babysitting Mama, a Wii game that requires you to do specific strengths of movements with the Wii Remote, that is not a precision instrument. It recognises moving or not. Yeah, like it's not even precision as simple as light, medium, hard. It's It just doesn't work out. Yeah, it's, it's on or off state. Left, right, up, or down, it can just about do. And of course, as you're tapping on a box, the Wii Remote is shifting, um, so that will have an effect as it gets further or nearer where you're tapping. Yeah, between the lack of precision on the Wii Remote and the lack of precision that comes from just being a human tapping under some form of pressure, it's just frustrating. And I love the gimmick of it. And maybe if they'd have like not bothered with the different uh, amount of force, the problem then is you're left with an exceedingly simple rudimentary game. But it would have been better than trying to make it deeper by having you like apply varying amounts of force, because that's where the game truly falls apart. It was a cute idea. It's cute enough that I wish it worked, but it just doesn't. It's it's such a Horrible experience to play that game, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not as good as the drum kits. They were better. Hell, that was... Uh, uh, Donkey Konga was before the Wii. That was GameCube. Yeah. And that could handle it. I genuinely kind of love Donkey Konga. Yeah. Basically, Let's Tap is, is Donkey Konga with less. It's just less Donkey Konga. Yeah. Yeah, and that was this week's... Trip to Stephanie's Wee Corner Wee Wee Corner. Oh, Wee Wee Mon Ami. <laughs> oh, well, uh, let's try and get through the news nice and quick because mm. we, 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 we've done a reasonably long one this week. Very quick story we can skim over, it just makes me laugh. So, Facebook, I'm not going to fucking call them Meta because fuck that. Meta, Jesus. Have a new version of their, their Quest VR headset coming uh, in the near future. It's being announced a month from now. That being said, we know the official name of it and can watch an unboxing of it. Remember when this happened back back, back in the day when I unboxed a PS4 Slim like a, like weeks before it got announced? Mm. Well, this this time it's happened with this new VR headset. Because someone left, someone who clearly had one for work, someone who works for Facebook, accidentally left it in their hotel room after checking out their hotel in the trash. This sort of thing happens from time to time, doesn't it? Like, I can remember some cell phones that were, you know, I can't remember what the devices were, but there have been a, a string of these over the years. Sorry, I want to correct myself. It wasn't left in the room. It was left in a pile of trash in a corridor in the hotel. And that part, that's the part that I think is very entertaining about this story. So, yes, so someone clearly had this unannounced piece of hardware for work and left it in a pile of trash in a corridor in a hotel, and a hotel worker who was called to deal with the complaint of the pile of rubbish happened to be a fan of VR tech and goes... Oh shit, this is a fucking unannounced VR headset right here. I I I know enough to recognize a meta quest and to understand what that means. And he just decides to start posting a series of photos and videos on the internet of him unboxing the Meta Quest Pro, which doesn't get announced for another month. Apparently, later someone did return to the hotel who had left it behind, um, to claim it, 
and uh, did not give so much as a thank you, apparently. I mean, okay, under the circumstances where the guy has gone and taken the thing you left behind and turned it into a massive amount of... I probably wouldn't say thanks either. I'm not saying they're (laughs) wrong. I'm just saying I love that there's a quote where the person is like, didn't even say thank you when he came for it back. Oh, and so they are offended that they... (laughs) Yeah. But like, here's the thing. This headset is in like... The, the, it's in a box that has the official branding on it, foam cutouts for the headset and the controller. Like, this is, like, fairly, like, ready-to-go-looking setup. Is this viral marketing? Is this guerrilla marketing? Like, did they know? Is this planned? I don't think so. No, I'm just, I don't think so either, but it's funny. They have a thing, like, a month from now to announce it, and, like, Facebook don't like anyone getting ahead of them on shit. So... Yeah, yeah. So that's just a fun story of someone leaving behind their big... Whoever that was who left that behind, I I feel fairly confident they're getting fired. Well, at least this far out, they have enough time to work in a fun joke about it into their presentation. Nah, see, I think it's, I think it's far enough and, like, a small enough story that I think if they made a joke about it, mm-hmm. no one's gonna get the joke. Like, I don't think it's a big enough deal close enough to the day. And they don't do subtle, so... No... Speaking of not doing subtle, uh, Babylon's Fall. <laughs> uh, remember, remember how that was going to be a big uh, live service game that for years was going to be the big, th- the big thing. Platinum Games, Square Enix. Anyone who believed that was a th- up to and including anyone at Platinum Games was a fucking mug. Yeah. So babylon's fall is is dying it's gonna it's gonna be killed off less than a year after its release square annex is basically ditching it which yes is good news like i said at the time like i know like people don't want to like hope things fail but i said at the time i genuinely hope Babylon's Fall fails because we need fewer games like this. We certainly need Platinum making fewer games like this. We do not keep needing these greedy microtransaction-fueled, battle pass-reliant, lazy, and and I'm going to call it lazy, creatively this game is fucking lazy, lazy, ugly, slapdash, sub-mediocre trash we need less of it i'm glad this has failed it deserved to fail it was put down not just for its own good but for everybody else's as well it's such a bad game and it's such an unnecessary game and it's part of a just a dreadful trend in in video games so yeah the, the the details are that um yeah you're right that it's less than a year the game launched in march mm-hmm. And on February 28th of next year, so just under a year, the game will be getting no future updates and its servers will be going offline so you won't even be able to log in and play the currently made content. Amazing. The game will be a paperweight. Amazing. And and this is yet one of so many examples of live services as a concept uh, being a scam. Yeah. Because they make promises that they know they can't keep. They promise you, like, the promise of a live service game is you're buying some unfinished crap on the promise that it's going to evolve and turn into something worth 60 to $70. And so few games have, have made, like, even the first stopping point on their roadmaps. 
comparatively few games ever make it that far. And for this game, uh, which launched in such a horrifyingly bad state, to shut itself down after less than a year, like anyone who bought that game got scammed, including yours truly. Well, I mean, at least with me, I can turn it into work. But anyone who bought that game, certainly anyone who bought it, thinking they get updates and get a living game, a live game, got scammed. Because that game is going to be fucking useless in February. Yeah. Fucking useless. Because as shitty as it is online, it's fucking unbearable solo. Yeah. So... We got we got one last thing to do before we we finish up today. It's time to talk about Ubisoft again because there's always fucking Ubisoft news. We'll keep this quick. Hey, you know how Tencent is buying up shares of basically every major video game publisher that they can get their hands on? Oh yeah. Well, they're heavily investing in Ubisoft with a 300 million euro investment in Guillermo Bros the company that's run by Ubisoft's co-founders. Tencent now owns 49.9% of Guillermo Bros, which has the largest stake in Ubisoft. This is a long way of getting around to Tencent owns more and can own more of Ubisoft as a result of all this. Yeah. They now own half of Guillermo Bros, which owns a third of Ubisoft. Jesus. Plus... Tencent can individually now own up to 9.99% of Ubisoft on top of that. Basically, between Tencent and Guillermo Bros, which now is 50% Tencent, there is enough there to own the majority of Ubisoft stock. Yeah. So this is Tencent putting, putting real money behind getting as close to taking over Ubisoft as they can with Ubisoft currently still technically controlling themselves and the the Guillermo's not having quite given up control yet. Yeah. Ubisoft's been in the news a little bit this week. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a few things this week. Yeah. They've um apparently denied that the um, next Assassin's Creed has real gambling in it. Yes. Uh, there was a suggestion it's going to be rated 18 plus or adults only because it actually features real life gambling. Yes, and they've had to deny that, although they haven't explained why, like where that that suggestion came from. Like they've they've just said nope, nope. There's d- d- real gambling, definitely not. Yeah. Um. So there's that. Uh, there's also uh, developers not wanting to work on a new Assassin's Creed game because uh, one of the uh, the lead is uh, an abuser. Yeah, along with the whole nothing has changed and a better Ubisoft is still, you know, desperate for fucking anything to improve there. Uh, this is Jonathan Dumont, allegations of intimidating women uh, among the, uh, the allegations he faces. Uh, so there is uh, that going on. Uh, I've also just seen this headline, Ubisoft CEO felt betrayed by allegations of abuse inside his company. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff this week. You know how, like, for several years we've been trying to deal with the fact that Ubisoft is full of abusers and they didn't do a good job of dealing with that? Well, Yves Guimau at a press briefing last week described the, the, that whole event as a stumble, which the company has since acknowledged and learned from. <laughs> Fucking... Cunt. It's just a little stumble, is all. And what have they? What have they learned? 
to better hide and cover for the abusers because as we know from the workers like minimal at best changes were made to make anyone who works there feel safe from ubisoft's abusive leadership yeah like just just hold in mind like while i read this quote from eves that all of the people involved in a better ubisoft are very adamant that nothing has changed and nothing has improved and nothing concrete has been done to actually address their concerns and here's eves quote our goal is to offer the best working environment for them to thrive and reach their full potential. In a context of a great reshuffle, we want to build one unique employee value proposition and bring changes wherever they're needed. We want to ensure an inclusive, rewarding and respectful workplace for all. Yes, we stumbled and we have acknowledged that. We learned a lot along the way and have made meaningful progress with concrete action plans. Says the company who apparently has fucking changed nothing. He can go get fucked. He's an evil man. I'm sorry, like, he... <sighs> to, to this day, refusing to adequately acknowledge the allegations and his role in them. To refuse to let us know how much he knew about them. To continue putting men like Dumont in charge. Men who, and I quote, created a climate of fear in that company. while. I think at least a third of the staff still feel unsafe there. And and for him to just... I mean, just this whole industry is evil. The fact that Ubisoft continues to do business without... They should be hounded. Every interview, every preview event, everyone should be hounding them over this. They oversaw rapists. Rapists. And they were allowed to just continue like nothing happened. They faced no consequences, and people continue talking about the, the hot new Assassin's Creed game like none of it matters. Employing and covering and promoting rapists matters. It fucking matters. And shame on anyone enabling that. Indeed. <sighs> so there we go, that's, that's this week done. Hey look, Crisis Core is out on 13th of December. Yep, and um, Tears of Tears of the Kingdom will be disrespectfully releasing in May. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you know there was a Nintendo Direct. There was, so you know, so that we don't have to end on Ubisoft. Yeah, games games occurred. There were some of them. Yeah, I, I, look, I want that Zelda. It looks cool. I want to play more Zelda. Mm-hmm. They have not yet confirmed whether they've removed uh, weapon durability for you or not. Yeah, and and, and uh, one fun bit was Nintendo announced that. Sorry, what? Oh yeah, I was gonna say about Goldeneye. Have you heard the fun stuff about Goldeneye? Nintendo announced that uh, Goldeneye, uh, a port yeah. of Goldeneye sixty four, the classic, would be on its little like like Nintendo Switch Online plus like extra subscription yeah. service yeah while at the very same time microsoft announced that a remaster of goldeneye 64 was coming out well okay it's 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 upscaled to 4k and it's got like better frame rate stability well it's a better version so here's the thing it's a better version but you've not heard the punchline though yet i i'm suspecting only one of those two versions has online multiplayer and it's not the Xbox one. Oh, that's amazing. Switch is the only one with online multiplayer. Oh, okay. That is amazing. The Xbox one looks better, but it doesn't have online. This is some <laughs> real fucking... I 
cut my hair off to get you a Christmas present. Oh, look, a comb. Yeah. That is some gift of the Magi shit right there. There is active confirmation that, yes, the the Xbox version's going to look nicer, but if you want online play, you've got to go to Nintendo. That is so good. I am so... <sighs> I am thrilled by that. I'm so glad you haven't heard the punchline yet. I am delighted by that. Mm. It's oh, it's so bad. I love it. Oh, there was some other like vaguely fun stuff in that direct. Pikmin Four, which was announced like seven, eight years ago, is finally back. Nice. That game seven years ago. It uh, I think it was a water. It might be Miyamoto was like, oh yeah, the game is completed. We're just waiting for the right time to release it, and then it just vanished. Yeah. So that's happening. Good. Well. Xbox doesn't get fucking online. That's great. Doesn't get fucking online. But people who are online yeah. love content, Laura. I'm sure they do. They love content. They love the people that produce it. And and I've heard through the grapevine that you are quite a prolific producer of this so-called, what are, what are the kids calling it? Content. Yeah, yeah. Um, t- ten, ten, con- content. I think that is it, and I do some of it. Yeah, it's the Laura K Buzz on the internet. Just Laura K Buzz. You find me everywhere. I do videos about accessibility in video games. I do a bunch of other podcasts. Uh, I do all sorts of things. Just go search Laura K Buzz. You'll find all the things I do. Conrad, what about you? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? (gasps) James Stephanie Sterling. Oh. James Stephanie Sterling, right here at your service. That's just what I was hoping to hear. Absolutely. Thrilled to confirm it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that supports this and the show and all of that. Um, I also will be streaming on Twitch when I can fucking get in the net and do it. Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, I've got some current wrestling dates for you. The big one is September 24th. We are so fucking close and I'm not prepared for how close it is. Uh, I need to start prepping some shit. <laughs> yeah, less than 10 days away. Uh, Spectrum Wrestling uh, will have its first show, Rejoice. It is a um, was co-founded with this promotion uh, by myself and um, our partner, Laura and I's partner, Phoenix. And it is in Sheffield. September 24th, Sheffield, the PPW facility at the South Bank Warehouse. Um, we've got tickets available at buytickets.at slash spectrum wrestling. Buytickets.at slash spectrum wrestling. Um, we'll be streaming it on Twitch from 6.30pm UK time um, with Laura K. Buzz hosting. She will also be um, pro- providing commentary on the stream as well. So that's Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. The event is 7pm UK time, doors open 6, uh, pre-show on Twitch at 6.30, September 24th, Sheffield, Spectrum Wrestling's Rejoice, buytickets.at slash Spectrum Wrestling. In fact, I normally give all the other wrestling dates, but right now I'm just going to focus on that and leave it there, uh, because A, I want to focus on it, and B, my sore throat is really fucking caning. 
We were going to do quick, and then I just ran my mouth about the Queen. Um, And that's it. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Hope you have a good week, and we will see you during the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.